Good morning, Harvest. How are we doing today? Man, it is so good to be with you. Uh, you guys, th- this is one of my favorite places to be. I have opportunities to be in a lot of places throughout the year, and I just love being able to, to come back and to be a part of this. This is always a, a fantastic time. Debbie, I was, I was thinking, you know, earlier you were sitting there and you said, I don't know if you remember me, and you're correct. I, I did not remember you until, until you started singing. And I remember, now listen, I remember I was standing, well, sitting, standing somewhere right in in this area the last time that I was here, and there was this beautiful angelic voice behind me, right? Because she wasn't up on the stage on that particular day. And I kept looking back behind. When you hear somebody, either when when they're screeching like I do, or when when it's a beautiful voice, you kind of look around for it, right? And I try real hard not to do it when, it when they're screeching because I feel like, well, if I actually identify them, then they, they know that I know, right? <laughs> so I try not to do that, but, but man, what a beautiful voice. Thank you so much. And Rachel, thank you for allowing me to come and be a part of this and things as such. Thank you for leading us in worship. We were talking earlier that, because uh, I was trying to think, when was the last time I was here? And I thought, well, it has to be pre-pandemic. Yeah. And, and you know what? Actually, that's wrong. I was here, well... Kind of. And, and you weren't here, right? I mean, none of us were really here, but I recorded a message. I think it was on a Wednesday. And then, and then I, I, I emailed it off. And then, uh, Rachel, I think you were, were at, at home. You might have even been on your piano there. And, and I don't know, but, but you were leading worship from, from, from home. And I was, I was leading, uh, you know, scripture and teaching and things as such like that from uh, home as well. So I have been with you in, in the last year and a half or so. I've been with you. You just don't remember it. Of course, you probably don't. You, you won't remember this by Tuesday. So it, no matter what I say, you'll, you'll still kind of go away going, hey, I think there was a guest speaker. I don't know. It, we're, I'm not really sure. So anyway, it is so good to be with you guys. I love being here. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Lance Cadell. I am with the Northwest Baptist Convention. I'm in the area of evangelism and church health, which basically means that I have the opportunity to walk alongside pastors and churches and just encourage them and help them and and just pastor them, really, when it comes down to it and help them to to take advantage of or take advantage of the opportunity, the, the, the calling that God has given them both for themselves and then also for their community. So that, that's really what I do. Today, what I want to do is I want to jump into a passage of Scripture. And I, I just want to, there won't be a whole lot of, of lead into this. We're going to be in, in Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. Or actually, Hebrews chapter 1. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 1. And I'm just going to read the first three verses and then we'll jump into this. So if you'll do me a favor, I would appreciate it. If you would just stand for the reading of this particular passage. You don't have to stand for all the reading of the rest of the passages. But let's read this. You don't have to read it, but read it with me. You don't have to read it out loud. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be here and to open your word. And I ask that, Lord Jesus, you'll open our hearts. Help us to hear from you today. Lord, I know that these are just weird times. We we didn't know how maybe how easy or how accustomed we had become to life until everything turned upside down. 
And then, God, as we begin to come out of this and realize that things will never really be the same, God, we thank you that you're the consistent, the constant one. So, God, today we come and we ask that you'll just speak to us and that you'll fill us with your presence. For it's in your precious name, amen. You may be seated. So, several years ago, actually, it was probably my early 20s, may have been my late teens, early 20s, something like that. I had kind of went on an adventure in, in, in my spiritual life. Some of you may have done that as well. Some of you may be in the midst of it right now. But I was on an adventure trying to figure out exactly who is God. Not so much, is there a God? Because I felt like that was already settled, right? Is there a God? I felt as though, as a matter of fact, I can kind of look back in all of my life, and I knew that there was some sort of heavenly being. That was never really a question for me. I know that it's a question for some people. I understand that. I see the struggle. But at the same time, I could take a look at the things around me, and I could see the beauty of the creation around me. I could see the, the, the design of the, so many different things. And then as I learned more and more about our planet, about our universe, I began to see that everything fit together. And I knew that there had to be some sort of intelligent creator behind that. Whether or not you could know that intelligent creator, for most of my early life, I, I didn't really know that. But then when I came to the place where I knew him, then I began to ask those questions, well, what is God like, right? Have you ever had those questions, what is God like? And it's so interesting because the moment that you ask the question, what is God like, so many people come out of the woodwork and they're willing to answer that question for you, aren't they? It is so strange, you know, that if you just begin to ask the question, so what is God like? And people say, oh, well, let me tell you. And it seemed as though at work, I would have all kinds of people, members of the LDS church or the JWs or something like that, and they'd drop off pamphlets, and I'd meet, you know, the hyper-charismatics, and I'd meet the, the strict fundamentalists, and I, I, I'm telling you, it was the weirdest time of my life, because I had, up to that point, went through life without really interacting with that group of people. I would see Muslims and Buddhists. And everybody had an answer as to what God was like. And it's interesting because every one of them had a belief in Jesus, even the Muslims and even the Buddhists. They all have a place for where Jesus fits. They just see Jesus as a different type of, in a different fitting than we do, right? And I remember still struggling and wrestling and saying, but these people say that God is like this and that God is an angry God and that he's looking for me just to mess up. And the moment that I messed up, he's going to stomp on me. And then there were others over here saying, no, 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 God's just a loving God and he doesn't really care what you do. As a matter of fact, God's kind of disconnected from all of his creation. He created it, let it go, and he's just there. And I remember thinking, God, what is this? And, and, and who are you? And what can I really trust? And then one evening... After I'd got off work, it was like nine o'clock at night that I got off work and I was going to drive down to see my mom down in Southern California, which I lived in Reno at the time. That's about an eight hour, six hour, seven hour, I don't know, uh, drive. So I wasn't going to get there until three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. And I remember it was about midnight and I was somewhere there on 395. I don't know if I was quite to Lone Pine, but I was somewhere in that area and I just was overwhelmed with this feeling of, I want to know what you're like. And I remember pulling over because I just couldn't drive any longer. And I stepped outside of my truck and I, I just looked up into the starry sky and I, 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 it, tears began to flow down my face. And I said, God, I just want to know you. What are you like? I don't care who's right, right? I, I, I mean, at that point, it was just one of those things where I just want to know you. I want to serve you. I don't care. 
And it felt as though, and this is, gonna, this is where it gets a little weird, I felt as though God said to me, just get to know my son. I mean, it, 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 I, I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know that it was an audible voice. I didn't see angels in the sky. I didn't see a bright light. But I felt as though God said, get to know my son and you will get to know me. And see, that's what the writer of Hebrews says here. He says, Jesus is the radiance or the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Basically, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus is God in the mirror. To know Jesus is to know God. So if that's true, that means that when we hear what God or what Jesus is is saying, when we see what Jesus is doing, when we take a look at the scriptures and we open them up and we see the activity of Jesus, and that is the activity of God. Does that make sense? That Jesus is the exact representation, the exact reflection of who God is. So some of you are here today, and you've got the same question. Some of you are here today, and you've got God figured out, but you could be wrong. I've met many people like that. I oftentimes am completely off. As a matter of fact, I don't know all that is to know about God. I won't even know all that is to know about God when I am there in the midst of him because I believe that God is that that God that is so infinite. But sometimes we have a a, a tendency to just kind of bring God down and bring him into a box and into a place and say, this is the way God interacts and this is the way God does things. And he only does it this way. So today what I'm hoping to do is just to take a look at an interaction that Jesus has. It's an interaction that all of us have heard probably before. As a matter of fact, I didn't go back too far into some of the messages that Brian had preached just to see whether or not this has been something recent. So if it is something recent, just stick with me anyway, okay? I'll probably say a lot of the same things that he said. But still, I want to take a look at an interaction that Jesus had. And the interesting thing is that I know this isn't going to frame all that is God. But I think it's going to frame some part that we have forgotten about who God is. Don't get me wrong. Every one of you, if you were to be asked that question, you would say, this is the way God is. But many of you, many of us, the way we live, we don't live as if this is the way God is. Does that make sense? So we're going to be in Luke. Luke chapter 7 today. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. I do believe that the scriptures will be up on the, on the screen, but, but this is, this is, we're going we're to take a look at this because some people, some people, and, and I hear it, especially in the church today, it just breaks my heart, but there is, the, there is this thought that my choices and my lifestyle make me unwanted by God. Now, now hear, hear what I'm saying because I'm going to unpack this a little bit and, and, and I don't want anybody to hear something and say, oh, see, he just went liberal on me. Because I, we're, we're, we're going we're to kind of hedge this in, and I'm hoping that you'll at least see something and go, okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying. But there's many in the church today that believe, and we may not say my, but we'll say you. Your choices and your lifestyle make you unwanted by God. So let's take a look at this passage here. This is, it starts in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, when... One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. 
He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, let's just stop here for a moment because last week, Brian talked about the Pharisees, right? And he talked about the religious leaders. He talked about the Sanhedrin. He talked about the fact that in a lot of ways, that was like our Senate, right? It was like, it, 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 it was like our, 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 our government, our, our, our leaders around us and because these folks represented not only the spiritual aspects, but they also represented your daily life aspects. In other words, they made rules and laws and things that you needed to make sure that you adhered to. And when you stepped outside of those lines, then they were quick to let you know. The only difference when I heard Brian say that is that I'm not sure that we have the respect that maybe they had for the Sanhedrin and for the Pharisees. That we, I don't think we have the respect for the senators today. Does that make sense? I mean, the, the moment that a, that, that a senator were to walk into the room, I think we would have a lot to say to them, not necessarily afraid of what they would say to us, Right? But see, at this day and time, when the Pharisees walked into the door, it was all everybody trying to stay away, everybody trying to hide their lives, hoping that the Pharisee didn't take them aside and say, hey, I've got something to say to you, or say it in front of everybody else. So this would be an unusual activity for a Pharisee to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you come to my house and have supper with me? As a matter of fact, it is believed by most scholars that the reason that the Pharisee did what he did was because he wanted to trap Jesus. This wasn't the only time that this would have happened or that this happened. There were other moments and other times that the Pharisees or some religious leader would take Jesus and ask him a question that would kind of be there to trick him, to, to get him to, to, to look at things or to say something or to make a commitment in some way. And then they could say, aha, we've got you, Right? So in some ways, I believe that the reason that this Pharisee was inviting Jesus wasn't that they were curious about what Jesus was. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to catch Jesus. And you know what, what just blows my mind is that Jesus said, okay, right? I had a friend of mine who, who he, he had recently uh, posted some things on Facebook and things like that. And, and, and they, they oh man. I got to be careful here. But it's kind of cited on, on, on a side that was probably a little looser than what most people wanted to, to have the siding and things like that. And, and one of his sending churches, he, he's, he's a church planter, one of the churches that were supporting him said, hey, you know, when you come back this year, we would like for you to come and to sit up on the stage. And we're, we're just going to invite people to come. And they just want to ask you these questions. They want to throw some questions at you about the way that you've, you've kind of conducted yourself. And I remember talking to him just this last week, and he said, you know what? I am not excited about that moment. <laughs> Now, it doesn't mean that he shouldn't be held accountable for the things that he said, right? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that nobody wants to be in the hot seat. Nobody wants to be in the place where obviously people don't like you or people are against whatever it is that you say and whatever it is you believe, and they're going to just, for one, the one purpose they have you in the room is just to get you. And yet Jesus says, yes, I love that. Those of you that are here today and you're a little skeptical, those of you that are here today and you've got questions, maybe you came because somebody else invited you or because somebody else, this is what they normally do, and you said, you know what, I'll go to church, whatever, I don't know, or maybe you just come every once in a while, but you've got your own kind of belief system and you kind of think to yourself, if I had the opportunity to sit Jesus down, this is what I would ask. The cool thing is that Jesus would say, I'd be there. I'll show up. You have questions. I'm not afraid of your questions. You have concerns, I'm not afraid of your concerns, right? You have doubts, I'm not afraid of your doubts. I love this, Jesus shows up. So it says, while they were reclining at the table, 
Verse 37, a woman of, in, the, in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, let's just stop here because I want to unpack this a little bit. We know this because of something that's going to happen a little bit later, but most scholars believe that this woman, this, when, when they said that she was a, lived a sinful life, it was a polite way of saying that she was a prostitute. She was a woman of the night. She was a harlot. She was not somebody that you would normally invite over to your home just to have supper with. She was different. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So basically, here's Jesus and Simon. They're enjoying a meal. And and during this time... Their houses were not like our houses. In other words, they didn't have a front yard and a backyard and all these things. Their houses so often were just right along the street there. And, and, and they didn't have windows, you know, with double pane and, and, and all this insulation and this ability to be able to be inside of a house and have it be private. It would be a place to where the windows would be thrown open and, 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 and you would have an opportunity to be able to hear. And it wasn't unusual when somebody was invited to, to, to someone's house and there was going to be some great dialogue that other people would begin to say, hey, I hear that so-and-so and so-and-so are meeting. Let's all gather around that house and let's listen in. This was their reality TV. <laughs> this is what they sought out. So when Jesus was invited by the Pharisee, everybody said, what was Jesus going to say? What is the Pharisee going to say? What's happening? So the room or the, 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 the surrounding around the house is going to be filled with people who are just trying to listen. I'm sure there are some folks saying, what did he say? What did he say? As they're having this dialogue in the midst of this, this woman decides to crash the party. Can you imagine that? And not just any woman. A woman of the street, a woman who is sought out in, 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 in certain situations, but for most of her life, she is someone that everyone shuns. And all of a sudden, she comes up to this crowd around this house, and she begins to say, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And people go, what do, who is, what's going on? And she pushes her way in to get to the place where Jesus is at. And this is incredibly risky for her. This is a Pharisee. This is somebody who could have made her life miserable had he made the decision that, you know what, you've crossed a line. You've done something you should have never done. He could have completely thrown her out of the the city. He could have completely made it just a, a, a terrible thing for her. And yet she shows up. Not only does she show up, she shows up with boldness. She is fearless. Right? I mean, uh, maybe, maybe she's got her own fear that she deals with. You know, that, that, that same sort of fear that I kind of feel as I'm, I'm sitting there and Rachel's up here singing and I, I'm, I'm going, oh my goodness, she, she's at the last song and I've got to get up here in a moment. So I'm scared to death and I'm looking at my watch going, okay, where's my heart rate right now? Oh, 101. Oh, 120. Right? I mean, maybe she's feeling that feeling, but she knew that she needed to get to be to Jesus. Most people believe that she had, had had some sort of encounter with Jesus prior. There was some place that she met Jesus face to face. I don't know if there were words that were, that were exchanged or if it was just an eye. What must it have been like to look in the eyes of Jesus? Can you think of it? I, I just, just the compassion, the love, that I've been waiting for you. 
And she'd experienced this incredible love. John says this later on. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, she did not show up. She knew what she deserved, but she didn't show up saying, I'm here to be punished. She had experienced his love and she showed up to show gratitude. See, it says, the one who fears is not... The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, this woman had experienced perfect love. She walks into the Pharisee's house and she approaches Jesus' feet. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Perfume was a, was a, 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 a tool of the trade, Right? And, and, and it wasn't, can I say this? <laughs> it, it wasn't what we use perfume for today. You know, we, we use it to kind of make us smell good. Now, it wasn't just that she didn't use it for that, but this was used for clients. Because clients didn't always smell good. And she shows up. And she breaks open the alabaster jar and she begins to wipe Jesus' feet. And when she does this, she exposes the heart of, of Simon the Pharisee. Look at this, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, Simon was of the belief that our choices and our lifestyle not only separates us from God, which they do. Now, hear me. See, this, this, is, this is where that, that, that little bit, right? We, we were talking about it just a moment ago. We were talking about the fact that, that, that many people believe that our, our choices and our lifestyle make us unwanted by God. See, Simon not only believed that your choices and your lifestyle make you, uh, separate you from God, because they do. God is a perfect God. We are imperfect human beings. And every time that you do something that you ought not to do, every time that you sin, every time that you lie, every time that you think thoughts that you shouldn't think, every time that you say something that you shouldn't say, you expose the heart that is inside of you. And you expose the fact that you are not perfect and a perfect God cannot dwell with with imperfection. That's why Jesus came, so that he could pay the penalty for our imperfection. But see, Simon not only believed that our choices and, 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 and our lifestyle separated us from God, but he believed that it made us unwanted by God. Did you hear the words? He said, if this man knew, if he were a prophet, if he knew who it was that was touching her, uh, touching him, that she was a sinner because God wants nothing to do with sinners. So here's Simon thinking these thoughts. I love this. Verse 40 says, Jesus answered him. Wait, wait. Simon was, Simon was thinking these thoughts. <laughs> Simon didn't say them out loud. He was thinking them. And yet Jesus answered him. Did you, I know you know this. God knows what you're thinking, right? Right now, when, you, when you're thinking, you're, you're thinking, this guy is the boringest person I've ever... He knows that. He is hearing that. 
If you're thinking about your list that you have to complete after, he knows that. You don't trick him. You can't, you know, make everything beautiful on the outside and, and, and raise your hand and, and, and praise him and yet have something inside of you. He knows what you're thinking. So look at this. Jesus answered him. Simon, I have something to tell you. I love this. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. See, what Jesus is saying is that when we are aware of our great need and that it has been met, then that leads to, a, to love and action. In other words, our gratefulness for our, for, for our forgiveness leads to, love, to us loving generously. And that's exactly what this woman does, right? She had been forgiven much. She overcame her own fear, her own whatever it was, you know, that the societies don't go here, don't be here to go and to be with Jesus, but not only to be with Jesus, but to take what it is that she had. And in so many ways, by taking that and, and it being a tool of the trade, not only is she showing her generosity towards Jesus, but she is turning away from a lifestyle. She is saying, I don't need this any longer. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, I kind of like that. He looked at her, but he was talking to, to Simon, right? turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. In other words, you didn't show any hospitality. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which would have been a proper greeting. You didn't show me hospitality. You didn't show me a proper greeting. But this woman, from the time that I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, which, had been, which would have been showing honor, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Verse 47, therefore I tell, her, tell you her sins, or her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Now, now, now be careful here. Don't, don't think that her sins are forgiven because she showed great love. See, sometimes we have a misunderstanding of that. Sometimes we as the church... Sometimes we as the church say, if you do certain things, then you will earn certain things. No, no, no. What, what, what Jesus is saying here is that her actions come out of what she has already received freely, right? Her actions come out of whatever it is that she has received freely. He goes on to say, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That's an interesting thing. Her great sins has brought her to the point to where she loves lavishly. But whoever's been forgiven little loves little. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you have a difficult time understanding how much you have been forgiven or how much you need forgiveness, one of two things are true. Either... You have not sinned enough and you need to go sin more so that you can come back to me and I can forgive you with more and you can have more love. Don't you dare walk out the door and say, that's what the pastor said. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying, nor is it what Jesus said. 
But it was either that or he is saying, you are unaware of how bad you are. See, this is why good folks have a difficult time accepting Jesus. I'm a good person. I remember sitting on the tailgate of my pickup. And I remember my girlfriend, the, the, the girl that, that I started going to church uh, for. I mean, basically, I, I, I wasn't interested in church until she says, well, I go to church, and if you want to hang out with me, you got to go to church. And I remember sitting on the tailgate of my, of, of my pickup, and she looked over at me, and she began to cry. And I said, what's going on? And she says, I just got to thinking about the fact that, man, one of these days we're both going to die, and, 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 and you're not going to go to the same place I'm going to go. What a, what a line, right? <laughs> And I remember looking at her and I said, I don't think a, a good God's going to send a good person to, he uh, to hell. And she says, you just don't understand. There's not levels of good. It, 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 it's, it's all, we're all bad. A little bit of sin, right? Just a little bit of sin makes us all imperfect. I remember as, as a youth leader, there, there were times that in order to teach kids this, Right? You, 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 I would take just a little bit of, of toilet water. Just to, uh, Don't laugh at this yet. <laughs> just a little bit of toilet water. And I'd take a glass of water, and I'd ask first, do anybody want to drink? People say, oh, I don't mind. I'd take, I'd take just a little drop of toilet water. Toilet water, just clean toilet water, right? It's clean, right, Rachel? <laughs> and I'd say, now, who wants a drink? And nobody wanted anything to do with that. Because just a little bit makes you imperfect. Just a little bit makes us to where we are separated from God. But what you need to understand and what we see here through Jesus, it doesn't make you unwanted by God. Jesus pursues you because of your sin. Jesus shows up and does what Jesus does because of your sin. And if it's a great sin, then Jesus still shows up and gives his life. If, he, if, if it's a little bit of sin, he still shows up and gives his life. They're both facing the same consequences, and neither one of them could have paid it, right? I mean, when Jesus, in Jesus' story, he says, one owed this much and the other one owed this much, but neither one of them could pay. So you know what that means? That means that both of them were facing a debtor's prison. Both of them needed somebody to step in and to pay for it. And when we come to the place that we discover that God knows us intimately, He loves us fully, and He wants us completely, then we become the most passionate followers of Jesus. You can usually see them in the church, right? The ones who understand, oh my goodness, you don't understand. Yeah, I do not deserve. I do not deserve his love. I do not deserve his mercy. I do not deserve his grace. I do not deserve to be here. You can usually tell those folks in church because they're so passionate. They have such a desire for other people to know what it is that they have experienced. And like this woman, they show their gratitude and it's rooted in that worship. See, Simon's problem was that he thought that he was better than he was. He didn't realize that he's the same as the sinful woman. Look at the way it ends here. Verse 48. It says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. 
Some people misunderstand this. I've even read some commentaries that kind of misunderstand this, where they say, well, she showed up, and, and, and she, she showed this incredible love, and then Jesus forgave her sin. No, no, no. She showed the love because she had been forgiven, because he had been, he was the one who was capable and able to forgive. And then he turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. So why does he say that? If she had already experienced his forgiveness, and now she's showing her worship in this forgiveness, why is he saying your sins are forgiven here? It's because he wants to make this proclamation so that everyone else would know that her sins are forgiven. Because the reality is, is that she would walk away from that situation and people would still continue to treat, and they probably continue to treat her as an untouchable. But Jesus wanted everyone to know that her sins were forgiven, that that's why he came. He came to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable. Verse 49, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who, can, who even can forgive sins? In other words, who is this guy? Only God can forgive sin, which I think at that point, Jesus, if he were inclined, could have looked up and said, exactly. See, to see Jesus is to see God and God's heart for forgiveness. Look at verse 50. This is so cool. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that word saved. In the original language, the word saved literally means to deliver. Basically, what he's saying to this woman is that, listen, listen, you don't have to go and to seek any sort of, of, of special things from anybody else. You don't need to, to seek significance from other people. You don't need to seek some, some way of fitting in with other people. You don't need to jump through the hoops of other people. See, this woman was used to performing for, for a fee. And Jesus shows up and gives her something free. Never happens in her world. Never happens in her world. There is a part of me There is a part of me that wonders if maybe those within our society that we would deem untouchable, too far from God, the same that, that, that people would have deemed this woman, right? It's weird because, because we, we, we read these stories and we don't really see her in light of the same way that they would have seen her. But when you put words to it, when you start talking about the fact of people within our community, when we talk about people of the LGBTQ community, and I begin to think in my mind about the fact that somewhere along the way she had experienced Jesus in a way that she had never experienced Jesus before. I don't know what that looked like. And Jesus doesn't condone our sin. Jesus doesn't wink at our sin. He doesn't turn his eye away from our sin. But I am telling you, he looks beyond our sin. He looks beyond our shame. He looks beyond our guilt. And he brings love and mercy and grace into that. And there is a part of me that wonders if in our world today, if we don't do more hate-mongering than we do showing love. If we don't... See, see, listen, listen. 
I, I have lived a sinful life, lifestyle. I, I know what it's like. And I know what it's like to walk into a room and feel as though everyone knows. You know that too. And I know that when people look at me and turn on me quickly and say, because of your lifestyle, blah, 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 I put up a defense and I want nothing to do with you. But I also know that when I walk into a church in the midst of my lifestyle, and I know that they know, and they love me anyway, that's why I sought Jesus. Because I saw Jesus in other people. Listen, listen. I, I don't know where you're at, but I will tell you this. Your choices in your lifestyle, they do separate you from God. They do. My choices and my lifestyle, they separate me from God. But that's why Jesus came. And you need to know that your choices in your lifestyle don't make you unwanted by God. God wants you. He loves you. He wants your neighbors. He loves your neighbors. But you're not saved purely because he loves you. You're saved as this woman because you have faith. Because you trust in what it is that he wants to give you. Or trust in him who made it possible for you to have it. So here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm probably going way late. Oh, it's not bad at all. I got, I got minutes, man. <clears throat> I want to wrap this up with an invitation. I'm going to ask Rachel to come up here in a moment, and she's going to lead us in a song. And, and I tell you what, some of you are in the room, and, and for the first time, you went, so that's the way God is? Yes. Does he hate sin? Yes, he hates sin, but not for the same reason that you think he hates sin. Definitely not for the same reason that the church tells you that he hates sin. See, he hates sin because sin is what separates you from him. He hates sin because sin is what mars his creation. But he loves you. And no matter what you're caught in today, no matter what you're caught in, he desires you. Those of you that are online, he desires you. You just have to turn to him and he'll forgive. So I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stand over here. Some of you, maybe you want somebody to pray with. I'll just be there to pray with you. Some of you, you can just pray right where you're at. But I am going to say this. Before you leave today, if there's something that God has said to you, would you say something to me or to somebody else? Because something happens when we get it out of us, right? If, if you walk out the door and God did something really cool inside of you, that's pretty awesome. But when you tell somebody, when you share something, something happens. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the grace and the mercy that you've given us. And Lord, today, here, now, I ask that, Lord, you will do what only you can do. That, God, you'd move in our hearts. Lord, my feeble attempt to, to speak words, I am so aware of my humanity and so aware of how th I muffle things up. But God, I know that you take those things and you speak so clearly. So God, that's what I'm leaning on today. That you would speak into our hearts, that you would reveal things that, Lord, we didn't even think you knew. 
that you might even poke at something that we were hoping you didn't see. And that today would be a day, a day for salvation, a day when we surrender our lives to you, or a day when we just walk closer to you and we show our incredible love for you because of the love that you've given us. For Lord, we ask this in your precious name. Amen.